Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be another trope dissection. I say another, but we haven't done one in a while, admittedly. So, I'm really excited to probably dissect. One of the most controversial tropes in anime, I would say, simply because uh, this particular trope has even caught attention of politicians in other countries in regards to how they classify it. And that trope is lollies. So for the people who don't know, and anime, basically any female character, usually female, I would say, Female character who looks a lot younger for her age. In particular, she's very petite and she has like this baby face. Despite the fact that she is quite old per se. And by old, I mean at least teenager and above. Uh, to give a sort of an age range. They can go from teenager all the way to like hundreds and centuries years old. And so uh, th those characters tend to get classified as lollies. And the reason why that this is so controversial is that often these lollies get paired in romantic relationships with male characters who look very much like a grown-up, which is why it has even caught attention of politicians in other countries who think that the way that lollies look and specifically the role they play in their stories is basically an extension of pedophilia that is uh, getting away from the more explicit and more direct and re reprehensible that you cannot sort of push away child pornography. So it's a very interesting trope dissection. And as we always do with trope dissection, we do our best to choose an example of a positive example and a negative one. So I'm really curious to hear what the girls have for us today in regards to positive and negative. And of course, I will be contributing as well. So last week we started with Isabel, and this week we are starting with Agnes. So Agnes, first question to you is, how do you feel about this trope, you know, generally speaking, and in context of maybe some of the more political stance that has come out lately, and quite literally political, because like I said, these are politicians who are pointing this out. And so uh, what are your thoughts about it? And, you know, share that. Please feel free to divulge into your examples. <laughs> Um, I do not engage, read, or attempt to do anything with anything that has to do with lollies, uh, particularly because a lot of these lollies tend to crop up in isekai and or harem genres. So I already say far, far, far away from it and being like, nope, not gonna look at this, nope. <laughs> um, I generally feel fairly uncomfortable with the lolly genre. I understand the appeal only because anime, when you design characters, they have big eyes, round faces. So it's very easy to draw certain characters who are like the teenage years into something that's a little bit more cutesy looking. And then a lot of those characters get, um, a lot of them get classified as lollies. Um, in general, I, like I said before, I don't really feel super comfortable with them. But if there are some animes that I am sitting and watching and that there does appear to be a lolly, I'm just here praying in my seat like, please, no sexual relationships. Please, no romantic relationships with the protagonist. I see. And did you want to share some historical aspects of the trope? I know you said you did some research about that, actually. 
Yeah, so for a lot of you guys there, uh, especially for anime fans, most of you are probably be like, oh, lollies is just in the Japanese sphere. Like, it is not like a pedophilia thing. Well, it turns out that it actually extends further beyond that because the original term of lolly is actually borrowed from an American word, the word Lolita, which is actually the title of a very famous and very controversial book called Lolita that is by Vladimir Nabrovka, who's a, um, Nab- sorry, Nabrovka. Nabovkov, who is a Russian-American novelist, and it's a story about a middle-aged French literature professor who kind of becomes obsessed with a 12-year-old American girl that I think that's living nearby and represents. She looks similar to someone who was deceased in his life, but she's 12 years old, and he tries to bribe her for a lot of uh, sexual favors, and because her name is Dolores, he nicknames her as Lil. Uh, Lola, which now becomes the term of Lolita in the actual book itself. Now, uh, for a lot of you who are probably listening, you're probably like, oh my god, that's pretty slightly disgusting. But it also shows like how kind of this perversive nature it is with uh, older men and with younger women and how it kind of almost translates into anime, of course. And then you can also say like, oh, but like the Lolita genre, at least like the subculture genre still exists in Japan. And that is no way, shape, or form actually related to the uh, the actual book, which is partially true because the Lolita subculture that's in Japan is more so focused on the aesthetic, so not so much of the de-aging process, but more so of wearing a lot of this frilly Victorian cute clothing, and it can be like uh, a more like white uh, styled lo- uh, Lolita, where it's like more innocent, more pure, or like a darker like dark Lolita is also a thing too. So that in itself, I think, is harmless but when you go deeper into the anime sphere when you see like a lot of character designs and we start seeing a lot of uh, lollies being introduced into a lot of different plot lines and a lot of different characters lives and things like that you really start to question like how morally gray or how demoralizing even is to like sit there and then you see a lollipop on screen so that's a bit of the historical uh, context for anybody who's listening Yeah, I think it is very interesting that Lolita as a novel, by the way, which I have read for, you know, English class purposes, but I have read actually makes a pretty big stance that what the protagonist did is very, very wrong. And like it does not shy away from the fact. And in fact, it was sort of portraying how dangerous these people are because the narrator, the protagonist is very poetic you know in the way he writes in the way he talks so there's a part of you that can't help but find him really intriguing which is why it's so dangerous is what the novel was trying to say because it ultimately ends with him in jail like he's in trouble like he he doesn't just get away scot-free and so but like the point of the story through his POV is to show how dangerous and scary these people are because oftentimes they're very sophisticated. They're sophisticated, they're poetic, they're philosophical, they're humans in a way that makes them very charismatic and likable and it's very hard to guess that they are um, they are capable of doing such terrible things. And so because of that, it's I always found it ironic that Japan took this novel that is essentially the whole point was to show the dangers of it and be like, you know what would make a good romance between those two? (laughs) Stop! (laughs) Yeah, so I always thought that was really ironic. So with that being said, 
first question. Do you have an example of a lolly that you do think was utilized well in anime? What do you mean by well? Do you mean by the definitions of like Lolita or what do you mean by that? I mean, we're, I, so I guess stepping back from uh, the Lolita novel now, let's think about it in anime context, which is basically any female girl character who is teenager and older but has a very baby-esque like um baby-esque face very much looks like a little girl has there ever been an instance of that usage that you thought was not enjoyable but at the very least okay or at least even the character was interesting in itself (sighs) in terms of well there is one lolly that comes to mind that I would say that I am more than okay with it and that would be Tanya Degershoff from oh, Tanya, Saga, okay. uh, Tanya Saga the Evil mm-hmm. only because it is a middle-aged man stuck in a child's body and he's like god I hate this and I hate this war but you know what whatever I want to sit in a comfy position in war <laughs> so I think that's what kind of takes off the creepy edge of a lolly because Tanya, as somebody who is from the real world, uh, from the modern day world, but is also a man, Tanya is able to basically stand up. I'm going to use them just to address the duality between, you know, the female persona that he has and his actual self. Um, They are able to kind of like stand their ground and become like the most fearsome lolly on the entire like Western um, theater. And it's really funny to see a lot of the enemies underestimate Tanya because they are a little girl. And, you know, there's a lot of actions that Tanya can't do because Tanya is very small. So for instance, like Tanya can't reach certain pedals when you're sitting in like a, in a normal human sized uh, cockpit for a plane. Um, and then Tanya has to get like a lot of items for themselves that is shrunken down to their size while everybody else in the platoon has more normal sized human gear for uh, people who are like between like 18 and 19 years old, like they're recently drafted or they're like young adults. Right. So I think that's like a really interesting way that they took the lolly and decided to make them the scariest person on the earth and almost basically a reincarnation of hitler right (laughs) i I had a feeling like in the back of your mind your vocabulary was going to say mother effer but then you're like it was so close (laughs) it was so close i was like no i'm better than this i don't need to cuss on this podcast anymore um but yeah the tanya i think is just very interesting as a lolly because it's so different from a lot of lollies in anime that we see where they're usually in a romantic or a sexualized position with the main character or they're kind of that weird combination of oh my gosh there's a small child that's running around the house but guess what that's my 52 year old mother that gave birth to me (laughs) you know so there's that kind of thing that happens in anime that i'm not usually very comfortable with but tanya i think is the one that i am the most comfortable with yeah tanya is a good flip slash switch of the lolly because in a I guess literally you could say that she's not because she is her age, you know, like physical body yeah, yeah, yeah. wise. But then because, you know, mentally, that is not a she, but a he who is a middle aged man. In that sense, she becomes a lolly. So it's a very nice twist on the trope. I I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then that way, like when you watch Tanya, you don't feel that uncomfortableness of like oh my god that's a lolly hmm but instead you're just like oh man yeah tanya f- him up you know kind of thing there you go i cursed on this podcast here we go <laughs> all 
I couldn't help it at that point. It also, uh, I would like to say, it also drums up the hamminess of like the evil of the evil character a lot more. Like it makes it funnier, in my opinion. So. Yeah, it makes it funnier because in Tanya, there are a lot of scenes where Tanya, because they're in kind of like this this weird time period of World War One and World War Two. Uh, they all wear like a lot of frilly dresses at least for women and at one point the officers in her squad are encouraging her to take a photo shoot Uh, and instead of Tanya like dressing in their military garb they force her into this cute petite red dress with a cute little red hat that she's supposed to sit there and pose and Tanya's like why am I here why am I doing this I hate every single part of this welcome to being treated as a girl But yeah, that was was a really interesting twist on the genre. Alrighty, so I can tell from, you know, what you have said that you have plenty of criticisms for the trope itself. Has there been one in particular that has stood out at how horrendously it was used and it just, and you just want to like tear it apart per se? (laughs) Yes, and that would be Black Bullet. Oh, okay. Because I made the mistake of accidentally watching Black Bullet when I was younger. And every single episode, I hated it. Because I thought the concept was interesting where it's a sci-fi world. And there are kind of like these engineered uh, little girls, uh, like genetically engineered little girls that are to help fight against these monsters that appear on the planet's surface. But unfortunately, they because they're so young and because they have these underdeveloped powers within like the genetic manipulations, they can sometimes go crazy. And so usually they have a handler who's like an older person, is usually a human person, who kind of guides them along and makes sure they complete their mission. The bad part about Black Bullet is that because all the girls are so young, they're all lollies, and two of them, which are part of the main cast, are often have a lot of sexual references and poses with the main character, who is their candler. He is a viral, healthy, like, 17, 18-year-old boy, and they often do, they often have a lot of romantic teases with him as well. And I remember sitting there watching it when I was much younger and I'm like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? I feel like this is kind of lolly trash, but why am I still watching this? I remember Black Bullet mainly because I thought the music was fire. <laughs> the music is by Flipside and Flipside is wonderful. I love the music in um, in Black Bullet. The animation is pretty decent i think of that time period, I, I think it was that era where anime kind of hit a slow point but ironically that gave production companies breathing room to do what they needed to do for quality so yeah <laughs> i think so yeah like the production quality for black bullet wasn't bad and the music was really good the plot and the characters just sucked <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's funny because when you said that, I kind of got a, bla- a blast from the past because I remember watching it and I remember that I liked the main character with the other girl who was his age and I was really annoyed at the oh, fact... Oh, Kendo. Yes, and, Kendo. and also she, I really loved her sword powers, like her her, uh, her, her katana abilities essentially, but um, I remember being really annoyed that the idea of the lolly character in there being a potential like love rival was like I, I just thought it was ridiculous and I just wanted it to it's go away. It's pretty ridiculous because well I mean there's two of them right there's two of them that eventually join the main character's team the main character's name is Rentaro 
And his first, you know, charge is Enju, who's that super like ganky girl yep. with the with the yellow coat. And she, there's a lot of panty shots in the first episode. <gasps> no, of I remember that very clearly because her specialty is kicking. Oh, I don't remember she, this. Enju, oh no, I remember this very clearly because I was like, wow, that's a lot of panty shots for a little girl that kicks all the time. Oh no. Um, <laughs> And in the first episode, she keeps teasing Rentaro for, like, looking up her skirt and stuff because she utilizes kicks. She's the most powerful, like, martial artist within the her cohort of uh, young children. And then later on in the series, Rentaro ends up adopting kind of, like, another charge. Her name is Tina Sprout. She was, like, a sniper. Oh, and she paired up once... with Kisara, I think. Or Tendo, is that her name? Sort of. Yeah. Not really. Okay. She ended up kind of being more attached to Rentaro, almost romantically. And there was a particular scene, I remember, halfway through the series, that I was like, oh my god, where she, Rentaro is sleeping, and then he wakes up and he feels like something's wriggling, and then out pops Tina from, like, underneath the sheets where he's sleeping, and she's, like, nestled in between his legs. And that is a very suggestive image of where that exactly goes. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm shocked you remember this because clearly my brain must have just erased that from existence. <laughs> like, I, I, I have a feeling, like, a lot of these kind of, like, se- some sort of, like, sexual scenes sometimes get erased from your brain. And that's actually a good thing because now you're not scarred. I'm scarred. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you for your sacrifice, Agnes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, did you ever watch Black Bullet, uh, Isabel? Do you remember those scenes at all? No, I have not watched it. So just listening to Agnes describe it, though, I'm like cringing. That's not something I want to watch. Yeah, but I wonder, what like, does it continue throughout the series, I assume? Like, you guys ended up finishing it, though, right? So there's some I, series? I or? think I should have finished it. I don't remember the ending. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So I think... Because the the original Black Bullet is, I think, based off of a light novel. Yes. Is it? Yeah, it's based off of a light novel. And I think the anime kind of ended on a cliffhanger note because it couldn't finish along with the light novel. And I don't think it was that popular enough to continue having a second season. Because all I remember from the end of season one was the reveal that Kisara has like some pretty wicked powers but can also go kind of crazy. I, yeah, no, Black uh, Black Bullet ended in a bad spot because from what I've heard from light novel readers is that they really butchered the source material and they, so the plot got really confusing in regards to things that were fully explained in the actual novel series itself or light novel series itself. So yeah, it definitely didn't get a second season, but I did finish it. I clearly have completely wiped out all the Lolly fan service things. I must have just paid my brain just paid attention to the opening theme songs and just that's all it remembers so (laughs) but yeah alrighty then well thank you Agnes for your contribution to this trope dissection you can now wash your hands off of it now so (laughs) uh the baton goes to me now so I think it comes at no surprise that I find the lolly trope to be very concerning and simply because Uh, For a fun fact or, you know, quotation mark fun fact, for a fun fact of people who don't know who are listening is Japan actually has a terrible, terrible uh, track record in regards to sexualizing children. And I do mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Uh, Child pornography in Japan can be quite is actually just literal. So, for example, I've learned that there is a very popular magazine in Japan 
where girls who are, I think, like, 13 or 14, they, like, pose in bikinis and stuff like that. And essentially the tagline of that magazine is, enjoy these girls before they bloom. And so... Uh... And that magazine is still getting published. It's very popular. It's very big amongst middle-aged men. And that was that is in no way considered legal here in the U.S. That's without question. So, and it's probably not considered legal in the majority of countries, you know, to be completely honest. So to say that Japan has a bad track record of sexualizing children would actually be quite an understatement because this is something that is still going on, much less not referring to the fact that they didn't outlaw child pornography until much too late, as in all of us here, the three of us were already born and had several years in our lives before they finally created a law to ban it. So just to keep that in context as well. So it's so I understand the some of the politicians concerns who are like, this is, you know, this is basically an extension extension of pedophilia and child pornography, even if it's not like real people. At the same time, though, of course, it's always a little difficult because they are drawn and they are not based on any real person, which, you know, is what muddles the line and can make things a little difficult in regard in deciding whether it is actually an extension of child pornography or not. But I'm not here to really talk about the morality or the ethics behind it, because um, that discussion can obviously last for a very, very long time. And I also have a feeling that the three of us would all be on the same side and it wouldn't be much of a discussion in the first place. It would be a bubble. So in regards to the actual trope, I have found instances where I was okay with it. And I am actually going to start off with a good trope example of a romantic relationship. But it's Aharan-san, or it, its full name is like Aharan-san wa Hakare Nakai. I can't pronounce Japanese very well, unfortunately. I'm not good at um, other languages aside from my own that I've learned. But essentially, the premise is this really tall uh, guy who's quite who's quite buff. I, I think of him like James from Anime Journey. <laughs> um, something. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay. His name is Rido, but something about him just reminds me of James. And so uh, James can, comes into class and he realizes that, you know, his seatmate beside him is this really, really, really petite girl. Like they are like like bodies apart from each other in height. And she is very much drawn to be a lolly. She has, you know, big eyes and like a baby face and she's very, very short. And but when, you know, Rydell saw her, he was like, oh, man, like I know I'm huge. So and I want to make friends this year because I didn't make as many friends back in middle school. So I got to make sure I come off as friendly and as unopposing as possible because I know like my body type tends to intimidate people for its size and its height. And so he tries his best to like interact with her, but then it doesn't seem like she's listening to him or she straight up ignores him. And so he felt terrible and he was like, oh God, is there nothing I can do to make myself seem less like imposing? in that sense and then it turns out the the thing is she is very very quiet when she talks because she she just naturally has a really quiet voice and so it can be a little hard to hear 
And at the same time, when she was in middle school, she got a little too, like, attached to her friends back in middle school. And people told her, like, you know, oh, you're not supposed to be that attached to friends and stuff like that. So she was like, oh, I need to be, like, more cold and distant for that reason. But the reality is, obviously, that they are both very friendly people. And once they figure that out, they became close friends really, really, really quickly. And... I really liked the usage of her as a lolly for the more comedic moments of the height differences. For example, she has a really hard time looking over the heads of the people in front of her because she's in the back row. And so Rydal has the brilliant idea of literally just lifting her on his shoulder because he's so tall and buff and he could do it. So she could take notes while like sitting on his shoulder and not in a sexualized way at all. It's like an actually hilarious way of the way she was sitting on him while she's taking notes and he's taking notes on the side as well or it's other stuff like during PE where you know she can't jump very far because her legs are so short and uh and he was just like it's okay Ahana-san like you have like talents and skills in other plays and they're both just really funny and quirky people and I and eventually and I, what I like best about Ahana-san is you can't really tell when romantic feelings really started to bloom between those two you just knew that they were so close and so in sync with each other and having so much fun spending time with each other with all the shenanigans of a really tall big person with a really short small person that it was only going to be a, a matter of time before the two of them realized they have feelings for each other and even after when they confess like they didn't even act that much different. Like, they got physically closer is all it is. But by physically closer, it's like, oh, they share a scarf, except she's a lot shorter than him. And so he has to figure out how to, like, balance it so the scarf's not all weird. And finally, the idea, they like, at first, he, like, tries to squat to be on her level. But then that wasn't working very well. And so finally, he, he like, decides to, like, lift her up in a certain way that just looks really ridiculous and funny. But they were clearly, like, very happy just dancing off with, like, sharing their scars and stuff like that and I was like you know what like that I think that was a great example of a lolly usage they really really milked and made fun of the fact that she is so you know seemingly out of it as well as the fact that she is so short compared to her love interest who is very very tall and big but they have these opposite sort of energies while at the same time being very similar to each other that made them a very good match and it wasn't so much about the fact that it, it just it wasn't sexualized and it, it really just made me think of you know those funny uh, those funny uh you know pictures of couples where a guy's really tall and the girl's really petite and they just look funny together because of that height difference but you also know that they work well together that's what it made me think of and I had a really fun time watching them having fun and just having that sort of chemistry with each other so that is an example of essentially a lolly girl who, like, you know, she fits into that trope, you know, checking every box. And she's even in a romantic relationship with a man who or a guy who looks a lot bigger and, you know, stronger. But it doesn't matter because it was more about their interactions together and it was really sweet. So, yeah, that is my first example of a positive usage of that trope. Have any of you two watched it or heard of it? <laughs> I definitely saw clips of Ahrensan when I was scrolling through the season, but I never had a chance to actually watch it. But after hearing you really gush about how well-balanced this lolly trope was in the dynamics with her friend, and also that it's a very wholesome interaction between them, I'm kind of inclined to watch it now. What about you, Isabel? Yeah, I would like to watch it too. I haven't seen it, but the clips I've seen and the 
you know, the imagery you described, it makes me want to see it just because I think it's really funny. It it is. It looks funny, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, just like the little snapshots you get, you know, between the two. I guess also just the massive height difference as well. And wait, when you said that she like he picked her up and she was taking notes, I just imagine her using his head as like a desk. Does she do that or no? Yes, she does. <laughs> cute yeah and it it was funny because the teacher was like what what's going on (laughs) you know but then she but then the teacher realized that it was because she can't see from the from where she was sitting and so it's like he was helping her out and stuff yeah no and also i really love rido because rido the the anime does a good job of baiting you into thinking that this is going to be another case where this quirky girl comes into this plain you know guy's life who's looking for something you know looking for confidence or whatever and there's a love story but it's really her pulling in all the work and like um making him feel less lonely but that's actually not the case at all because Rido is honestly really quirky he like comes up with some of like the funniest conclusions just out of nowhere and very harmless conclusions as well like for example there was a part where he realized like this other girl was like watching the two of them and and mainly him it was like glaring at him and he was like did I do something like did I like did I really screw up in something that made like someone send an assassin after me and then he goes through like all his like life's bad choices which are very mild you know when you think about it they're just very normal life choices like for example he ate his sister's like yogurt and his sister was like oh like you know Onita like you know you're so mean and like crying and and so he goes through all these stuff in which he like messed up and his conclusion was like oh my god I'm a terrible person (laughs) so um so he's very quirky and definitely it's much more balanced in regards to these two characters and how they interact with each other as well as their personalities it's not just one plain guy with a very quirky girl it's both people who are both equally quirky in their different ways and that's why they you know make up for each other and also Rydell still reminds me of James and that's always a plus so But yeah, so that is my first pick for a trope dissection of a positive example. So now I'm going to go to a negative one. And obviously there is a plethora to choose from. But the one that really just got to me was Philo from Shield Hero. Ah, yes, Philo. Yeah, so... Philo from Shield Hero, she is essentially a bird character. And uh, Naofumi raised her from an egg and then she hashed and she turns into this lolly girl and in case you guys don't know where this is going yes she plans to quote-unquote mate because she's a bird so more animalistic in her language but she plans to mate with Naofumi and is like this like not as not serious rival but like like rival to Raftalia which has its own other set of issues per se and so and like I just thought that whole thing was so stupid with the moment that they the moment that they uh, introduced it, even though I knew it was coming because I was like, this man literally raised her from an egg like that's her dad. That's not um, that's <laughs> that's not a love interest. But the fact that the anime or really the story still tried to push her into being a love interest just really bothered me. But the other thing that I really didn't like is while we 
while Philo does, and I like it's a low bar, but while Philo doesn't get any sort of sexualization in the way that Black Bullet does, you don't see her panties, you don't see her in compromising positions, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that they do do is have like the spear hero, which I don't remember his name, honestly, um, Motoyasu or something like that. Um, but the sp- that sounds, that sounds okay. right. Yeah. Is that they have the spe- spear hero just like, like go gaga over her and was like, you know, Philo, you need to join my team and Philo and like constantly going after her. And it always ends with like this funny, like, oh, kick in the groin, you know, sort of thing, because she wants him to get away, which like admittedly, yes, he deserves. But it's just I find it interesting as how they always treat it as a comedic moment that the spear hero is quite literally lusting after this lolly child rather than the fact that everyone should have been recoiling in disgust at the fact that this grown man is going after a lolly child. So I think that, so that was, that's always the part that just gets me the most. And no matter how they don't sexualize her per se, in a way they still do when they have like the spear hero just relentlessly pursue her. And for God's sake, he's still considered like a hero. Like he still has that, he still has that title, even though he was like an antagonist for quite some time. And I also know for a fact that that in the light novels, he does have like this sort of redemption arc where he gets uh, where like Naofumi helps him and he gets like, you know, he gets through his own character arc and stuff like that. And it's just like, I, I don't know, like, I don't think he should have one in the first place and be like, oh, he's not that bad, considering that, once again, he continuously goes after a little girl who uh, admittedly ages quickly, per se, because of the animal aspect of things. But, like, he continuously goes after her, and it's always just played for comedic moments. And I just think it's so unnecessary, on top of the fact of adding her to Naofumi's harem. So that's my, you know... That's my gripe of Philo as a lolly for Shield Hero. Yeah. I feel like it's gotten even worse because I was reading through the Shield Hero wiki while you were talking about uh, Motoyasu and Philo, and they say uh, somewhere down the line his personality ends up changing after he unlocks his curse series and he ends up having like an obsessive crush for Philo and calling her like, and calling, uh, who was it, Naofumi as like father in law. Ew! Ew! <laughs> Same. <laughs> I didn't need to know that. <laughs> well, there you go. No, More you tips do. for us to learn. Uh, well, thanks, Agnes. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, so I know that you probably hate the trope, but, you know, uh, Isabel, did you watch Shield Hero? I don't remember if you did or not. <laughs> no, I watched that first episode and I was like, one hour is too long. And then I stopped, unfortunately, <laughs> so... I didn't meet anyone. So you, where did you even stop, actually? <laughs> I pretty much stopped when Naofumi became the shield hero. At least I know that. Oh my gosh, you really stopped yeah. early, huh? <laughs> yeah. Good for you, Isabel. Good for you. <laughs> oh, that- yeah, I re- Do not get scarred by this series. I wanted to watch more, but... Yeah. No, don't. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Save yourself. I mean, if you want to, then you can at least tell me if I'm overthinking the whole Philo thing. But I just, ugh, I yeah, I don't, I don't like it. So, oh man, it gets worse on the on the subreddit for Shield. Oh Hero. no. <laughs> um, 
there is a I I don't know if this is from the I think this might be from the manga instead of the light novel, but there's a manga panel where essentially it goes. I also made a life size puppet of Furotan to try my on my creations. It's literally like a life size body pillow of Philo that Motoyasu made for himself, and he cuddles with her every night. Ew. <laughs> yeah, very reprehensible. Holy. Sh you know the worst part of this whole thing. The worst part is actually there's a light novel series like side story where it features Motoyasu as the main character. Like Jesus, why? Yeah. I, I'm just like it's insane that they've decided that if they're gonna make a side story, the main character is gonna be that guy. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that does more than enough to prove my point that this is not a great usage of the trope and nothing similar to how wonderful Aharen-san was in that case. So, alrighty then. Well, Isabel, it is now your turn. And first of all, you know, let me know what do you think of the lolly trope? And then second of all, uh, give us, an, did you find an example that was a good one? And, you know, let us know which example of a bad one that just really gets at you. Yeah, so my thoughts on the genre, like, I kind of like Agnes as well. I don't really pay attention to it too much or it's not something I look for all the time. Uh, if there is a lolly character in the anime, it doesn't really make or break it for me. But um, I, I don't find characters that I really favor to be lolly characters uh, mostly because I kind of maybe just see them as like a little sister or something like that or a younger girl and another thing I just thought it was like I don't really see boys being treated the same way so I was like what's you know what's the opposite of a lolly I guess the closest is maybe a shota but even then like there's nothing like that so I think it's more common to find shotas in, um, in like, yaoi, probably. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's, like, the only space where you would see them, but, like, it's not something that you would see in shonen anime, for example, because at that point, they would just be, you know, young boys. Yep, exactly. So it's just really odd to me that there's this whole genre and things that we can talk about lollies for days, and then, you know, going on to lolita fashion and things like that which i think is cute i think it's really cool that you can dress up like that and especially for cosplay you know um i wouldn't judge if you dressed up as a lolly character because i think some of their designs are really good and you don't really wear those dresses out too often especially you know the super poofy skirts so i like those a lot i would like to wear one of those although i feel like it would be really heavy okay but clearly I... we need to buy one for <laughs> isabel <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed yeah uh I, yeah i have trouble fitting in them i feel like i have to find like a really good dress but no um but yeah that's where that's kind of like where my thoughts are um and then in terms of the character that i personally like is i do i really like beatrice from re-zero i think she's a great character um because she's i think mostly because she's very uh what do you call it kind of cold <laughs> to super like she's very she's like one side like she loves uh her little um it's not even a, pet, a puck she really loves puck and so she's like obsessed with that but then in terms of everything else she like doesn't care she to me she acts like a really old lady 
uh, even though technically I don't think she's an older character either. She's just kind of a spirit that was created to be in that library where she's basically stuck, but Subaru keeps bothering her. Sounds like me. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I, there was this one scene that Subaru, at least when I watched it in the English dub, he literally goes, uh, you know, you know, stop being like a lowly character. And then she straight up is like, what's a lolly? I don't know what you're saying. What is that word? Um, but only Subaru knows that, right? Because he, the other world. Have I been pronouncing it wrong this whole time? I'm sorry. It's just, you said lowly. And I'm like, is it lowly and not lolly? It could be both. I don't know. You can pronounce it however you want. I'm not going to judge. Lowly, lolly. Whatever you want. I, I, I don't think it really matters that much. I think we all are pretty much on the same page as what this type of an uh, archetype it is. That's true. I think it's because I get confused because I said lowly. Lolita fashion? I have no idea. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably the closer to the uh, the Japanese pronunciation for Lolita. So is it Lolita? Loli. Mm-hmm. I must be influenced by that. That's the reason why I would pronounce it that way. So. Okay. So it's not me just pronouncing no. English words wrong again. So. No, 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 no. You, you and I are pronouncing it based on the novel that we read. But Isabel was probably influenced by more of the, the Japanese pronunciation for okay. it. Because when, like, if an anime character says, like, oh my gosh, you're a lolly, they're not going to say lolly, they're going to say lolly. Oh, right? So it's going to be a little bit closer to that. Okay, I see. But yeah. But yes, continue, Isabel. Yeah, otherwise, Subaru's, you know, sole goal is to make Beatrice smile, because when she smiles, uh, she's pretty, pretty cute. So I like that a lot as well. Or whenever she's doing her own thing and she's just like scared there's just so many moments between her and Subaru that are really nice and there's I feel like there's no scene where between at least the two of them that you know they have any like attraction for each other or anything like that it's really you know strictly between you know two people really becoming friends throughout the series because when they start off in the first few episodes they're not friends at all in fact um, Beatrice just shuts out Subaru every every chance she can so Subaru just kind of pursuing that and, you know, learning more about the world that he's in and asking for Beatrice's help really just shows that you can be friends with them. You can treat them as a you know regular character and um, and have a really good relationship, at least between the two. I know, Gracie, you have, you've watched ReZero, right? What did you think of Beatrice? I did really love Beatrice. I think she's another great example of a lolly used well. And uh, her usage kind of reminds me of Tanya in the similar way that they kind of subvert the trope while embodying it. Though in Beatrice's case, it isn't so much that um, she's secretly a man or anything like that, but she has the looks and everything of that child character. But then, you like you said, she talks like a grandma. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she actually talks like her age versus a, a joke that Prozy D made in like one of the videos about like anime characters ages. It's like the lolly character will speak like a baby, essentially, but be thousands of years old. And he's just like, that doesn't make any sense. And in Beatrice's cases, they, they actually managed to get away from that because it's like, no, she looks like that, but she definitely speaks like a grandma. <laughs> so... Like, you can tell she's been around for a while, so... <laughs> um, so I did think that was really funny. Uh, it's weird because, in a way, Beatrice's lolliness doesn't even really stand out. You know what I mean? Like, she has a really cute character design, but there's so much going on with her in regards to her powers and what she's capable of and, you know, what her history is and what her goal is that it... it that 
overtakes any sort of the fact that, oh, she's really cute and small and looks like a little girl, even though she's a lot older and stuff like that. And as you already said, there is definitely a very much lack of romantic uh, romantic sort of set up with her and anyone. It's much more about her finding platonic friends because of the fact that um, this is spoilers. But in season two, we find out that she's essentially been waiting forever for, you know, friends that for friends who had left her because she's immortal, like age wise, she's immortal. And at a certain point, she's given up on the idea of them ever coming back for her. And Subaru was like, I'm coming back for you. Like I like it's because we're friends and I keep coming back for you. Like you need to let these people go and start accepting people who are in your life right now who are willing to come back for you and stuff. And I did think that was very, very powerful and also a wonderful thing. And it really like ties the bow on her uh, character and story arc. So yeah, I think Beatrice is a great uh, example of a lolly used extremely, extremely well. She's still very cute and adorable and sassy and all the stuff of a lolly trope. But at the same time, um, she's got a lot more going with her than just she's here for the sake of being the cutesy little girl who looks older than she uh, who looks younger than she actually is and is like a romantic interest. So yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like I interrupted you, Agnes. What were you gonna say? Oh no, no, no. I was gonna deflect the the question back to Gracie to, since you're the one that actually watched ReZero. Oh, okay. But that's all, it's all said and done. Yeah. Okay, got it. So I get like, um, Agnes, have you do you know who Beatrice is? I guess do you have like an idea of the characters? I do. I saw a lot of images of her when uh, ReZero was airing. Uh, between like season one and two, so I'm very well aware of who she is. I never really got a chance to watch ReZero in its entirety, so I wasn't introduced to her character. But because you guys are like introducing her as like this more cutesy little grandma that's somehow like in the body of a young child, it kind of makes it very humorous and is a nicer version of the trope. And the fact that you describe how Subaru. Like, she pushed away Subaru because she didn't want to interact with him. And then at one point, like, Subaru always asked for help. It really kind of dives away from the whole, like, uh, misconstrued romanticism between, like, the lolly character and the main character. So that's a really nice touch that they did in ReZero. Yeah, exactly. Because I would assume, like, a lot of isekais would still, like, do a hard left to do the whole romanticizing mm, between the lolly and the main yeah. character. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, ReZero doesn't do that. So that's a that's a plus one for ReZero right there. Yep, yep, exactly. Alrighty then, so if that is an excellent example for a positive usage of the lolly trope, what do you have for a negative? <laughs> yeah, I like I would have a lot more negatives, but it's like I haven't watched shows I feel like that have lolly characters that I really did disliked. Um, so the one I have to go with is um, one that I didn't like personally, but I think. The other thing is that the show was a little confusing to me. Um, it's the day I became a god. It's the main oh. character. One of the main characters, Hina. Yes. Okay. <laughs> did you finish that show? I can't remember. I know you were you were looking into watching it, but I can't remember if you. I did finish that show. I have thoughts, but let's hear yours first. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I definitely want to hear your thoughts. Then, Agnes, did you watch it as well or no? Nope. Okay. Nope. I saw it was a harem, but I was like, nope. Not today. It's actually not a harem good news, but yeah. <laughs> oh, it is it? Okay. I guess it's just that every time I see that kind of like framing on the the, the poster image of the anime when it announced like, oh, we're getting an anime greenlit. I'm like, Mm-mm, nope, that's probably a harem. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to waste my chances on that. 
Yeah, I think that show was one of the things, like, if based just based on the poster, I wouldn't watch it just because the, the character designs in there. It's just not something that I was interested in. Um, but, but because of previous works like Angel Beats and Charlotte, I was, I was interested in what this series would be like. Um, but I think it was one of the more, more disappointing ones for me. Just because of Hina as a character, I feel like, and maybe the main character as well. Uh, Yota, um, but it's mostly because I feel like Hina was given all these things in the beginning, and as a character, I think she's kind of annoying um, because she comes into the series, she is basically labels herself as Odin. She's this god, and she predicts that the world will end in thirty days, and so she chooses to show up in. Uh, Yota's um, household and, you know, become a part of it. And she's trying to prove to Yota that, you know, the world's going to end and I am a god and I'm going to show you all these things. Like she predicts she she's able to see the future, which is correct because she correctly predicts like things that are going to happen, um, like what his friends are thinking of or Yota has this crush on, crush on a girl that he wants to get together with. So she helps him with that. And that's part of the series where I feel like it, I get lost in it because it starts off as some, as a plot, and then we have kind of like a slice of life throughout the series, um, kind of like following each uh, each day that she has, uh, or at least the you know the thirty days um, that she has. Uh, in in reality, though, it apparently like she had a, a chip installed in her, and. What? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. knew I was react. <laughs> I was like tuning in, tuning out. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm following along. Then suddenly a chip. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, and that got me too. I think like it's not only her that's a god, but other characters also um, that come in. So later. they're like manufactured gods? Question mark. Oh my god, I really can't remember like the details because it's so confusing. She's me, not so. really a god. It's more mm-hmm. like because of the computer chip in her head, she's able to predict things that normal humans are unable to predict and which made her think that she was a god. So <laughs> Okay. Oh, so basically an AI almost. Almost. Inside of her. But she's also like alive and like her own thoughts and stuff. Yeah. It, it's some sci fi thing. It used, it was what we thought was supernatural, ended up being sci fi. What's new? <laughs> See, this is one of the things that I hate about some Japanese medias, like animes and mangas. It's like they'll introduce like a really cool supernatural or like psychological element to your story. You're like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then suddenly, like, Hi, let's explain it with science. There's a chip in her head. You're like, why? (laughs) There's the element of mystery. Just leave it. Jesus. (laughs) But yes, it's like the same. It's like the same situation that we had with uh, Wonder Egg Priority, where we're like, oh my gosh, this is such a cool analogy to like psychology and what girls have to face while growing up. And then suddenly, bam, there's a girl that's kind of basically controlling everybody's dream sequence. And she's like kind of a weird psycho that's hooked up to a bunch of machines. And she's the the reason for all of everyone's problems, you know, like. I know. And I'm like, oh, God. Okay, keep keep going with Dave. God, (laughs) let's see how let's see how worse it can get. I, I think it does get worse, but uh, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, did you ever finish the show then? I actually did. 
Yeah, I was like, okay, oh, okay, where are we going with this? Because it's kind of wild. Like, your reactions are exactly what I thought. Like, Hina is just blessed with all these things in the beginning. And I thought, like Gracie said, I thought it was going to be supernatural. Then we have the computer chip things. And I'm like, okay, so, all right, sci-fi it is. <laughs> sci-fi um, it is. <laughs> and then, you know, it had to have kind of like a, almost a sad ending. So turns out that she is, she's a girl who should have des- who should have died due to this disease and so oh my God. the last episode is where yota is just like no i have to save her i'm oh gonna God. make her remember all these good memories we have what is this plastic memories <laughs> <laughs> oh God. sorry keep going yeah i think it's actually almost pretty much the same as plastic memories in that sense um but yeah i thought that was just wild um I just didn't think she worked as a character. Like, I didn't find any part of me kind of, you know, like having to like her or things that I could relate to her with, you know, because she, you know, had this whole idea around her that, you know, she needed to change the world. And I thought we were going along that. But in the end, you know, she, she just wanted to kind of like live a normal life, I guess, you know, before, you know, her disease took her away. Um, it is a happy ending. So she does recover thanks to, whatever Yota does by bringing her memories back or something and slowly, slowly, I, I guess, making her realize that, oh, she she did have a life before. Um, but yeah, I, I was just very confused about her character. Um, she doesn't follow most of the, uh, the tropes, I feel like, because she she's not wearing a cute dress. She's always dressed as a, kind of like a nun. Uh, at least in the robes um so but then she is kind of introduced kind of like later on I feel as a romantic interest for yota which i feel like it's hard to fall in love with somebody for just 30 days uh, in his life it's revealed that she knew him before but i don't think that was long enough because he had pretty much forgotten about her i feel like um so yeah i'm we're just kind of left with this story um he does have her cute cute moments too but i feel like overall as a character and adding to my enjoyment of the show it just wasn't there for me those are my thoughts i definitely want to hear yours gracie because i feel like you you kind of you at least remember more details than i do so the reason why i remember more details is because of how randomly she became like his romantic interest at the end oh, and okay. uh, and the funny thing is Betty and I were watching together and when that happened both he and I were like uh <laughs> <You know? laughs> if, if both of you are sitting there pausing going uh that's probably a big problem with the story <laughs> yeah because here's here's the doozy is the whole thing was she had like this brain like disease or something like that and the chip that was in her mind uh, basically like forcefully uh, like kept her brain like updated is what it was but um but what happened was uh, uh, the scientist her grandfather who created that chip essentially did it without essentially created a chip that could have been um that could have been used as a weapon and so Jap- the Japanese government was like, we cannot let this chip continue to like exist because it's too dangerous. And if it gets in like other people's hands, then we've got a big issue. And so the whole thing was they physically removed her chip from the brain and destroyed it. And what it did is re- it reverted her like 
sort of mental capacity back to that of a child. Like she was trying oh. to put like stars, like shapes to shapes, you know, she didn't really hmm. know how to read. Um, she couldn't really take care of herself. She couldn't really talk in all honesty. And like she couldn't even form words. But the fact that after that and the Yota did like talked about like this is like the story of how like, you know, I met a god. And this is the story of how like I, I fell in love with the god. That's why mm-hmm. Betty and I were like, um, she has the mental capacity of a child right now. <laughs> like, like literally a child. I don't think that's like I, I can't understand how you would fall in love with someone with the mental capacity of a child. So yeah. did he like fall in love with her after or before? It's like, okay, I. it's more like, it seemed like they had like a brotherly sister relationship at the beginning, but then uh-huh. it seemed like he was potentially, or he was developed, or she was developing feelings for him, but he didn't seem to understand it because he just saw her as a little sister. But then after she got taken by the government and forcefully got her chip removed and by that sense her aut- autonomy removed as well, um, and got sent to like this childcare facility where she would have to stay for the rest of her life, essentially because of her brain disease. He realized that she loved him, and he started to be like, "Huh, maybe I love her too." And then decided he <laughs> loved her after he went to the mental facility to w- see her and try to make her remember things. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's some gray moral line he's tiptoeing right there. Yeah, exactly. So that's why Medi and I were like, no! <laughs> you know, so. That's like the worst ending you could ever do, especially to someone who has like their whole like mental capacity removed. It's like as if saying like trying to support a story that's kind of like weirdly cancerous of like a disabled person even in a relationship with somebody who is abled, but it's, like, in a weird, twisted way. I don't know. This sounds, like, really bad. If it makes you guys feel any better, the voice actress, which is Ayano Sakura and uh, Hanae Natsuki, who voiced the main character, both of them have said that they found the ending kind of baffling <laughs> about the fact that oh, he fell did. in love with her. So, yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, they have they have an iota of sense in them. Yeah, they were uh, both kind of confused about that twist because they were, like, I kind of felt like they were more, like, brothers and sisters through the whole story so yeah <laughs> yeah and then again like the way that Jun Maede writes because he's the I think he's the writer for the series yeah. right because it's a yeah uh he he sometimes throws like weird twists like that too so I'm half not surprised but also like dude you could have done better yeah no it was it was pretty bad and disappointing and everyone unfortunately uh, unfortunately the backlash to that anime was not only in the U.S., but it was also in Japan. Well, I guess fortunately, but at the same time, apparently that kind of killed his like sense of like motivation. <laughs> so he, yeah, I can see he kind of disappeared, and everyone's like, "Where did he go?" It's like, is he okay? But yeah, it's 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 a messy situation to say the least. <laughs> Very messy, yeah. 
Uh, alrighty then. So on that note, you know what? Maybe I should next time for trope dissections. Maybe I should do the bad ones and then the good ones for, and then the good ones next to end on a better note. But yeah, probably. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna change the order of these. Sorry, guys. But on that note, thank you everyone for uh, listening to us talk about this particular trope dissection, which is obviously filled with a lot of drama and a lot of interesting, uh, you know, things. To to look at but i hope you guys enjoyed it and next week we have a very special guest coming who is going to join our tabletop or our round table conversation so i hope you guys are ready for her so yeah uh i hope you'll be here next time bye everyone bye bye